Welcome to the Decisions That Matter podcast, where we meet with leaders from across the procurement community to discuss innovative and strategic ideas. Because when it comes to procurement, every decision matters. Garkin and I'm here today with Jack Pitzer, who is a real legend in public procurement. And uh, thank you, Jack, for, for giving us a little bit of time today to talk about the incredible things that you've seen in the course of, of your career in public procurement. Great to have you. Well, thank you, Dave. Thanks for asking. Jack and I uh, saw each other uh, just a few weeks ago in San Diego at the 75th anniversary celebration of NASPO. And it as, as NASPO is turning 75, it felt like, you know, a really interesting inflection point to be able to sort of look backwards on all the changes that have happened in our industry and to talk to someone who's really had a front row seat. So really thrilled and, and honored uh, to have you today, Jack. Thank you. Uh, so let, let's get started. Maybe tell us a little bit about your experience in procurement as a practitioner. When did you first put on the procurement hat? First assignment or, or job that I had while, while I was a student uh, in, 19, in 1966, I was also in the National Guard and the United States Property and Fiscal Officer for the state of Missouri, which is responsible for all federal money and property, offered me a permanent part-time job while I was going to school working in the uh, purchasing and contracting section of his office. And uh, I did that uh, for three years while I was uh, finishing up my bachelor's degree. I was, I'm was i a slow learner. I didn't get my bachelor's degree until 10 years after I graduated from high school. Wow. But uh, then... Uh, you got your money's worth. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I spent a lot of time in college. Uh, my uh, wife and I had, had a plan to both of us get educated and by the time our daughter graduated from high school both of us have been in college for uh, off and on for oh well see our daughter was 18 so it'd been 18 years that one or the other of us or both of us had been college students but uh, after after i graduated uh, from lincoln university in jefferson city missouri which is a historically black university uh, i got a package to study in graduate school at the University of Missouri. And then I, when I finished all my coursework and my research uh, in 1973, academic jobs for somebody who didn't have a dissertation in hand were just non-existent. And uh, I was just very fortunate. A friend recommended that I contact the uh, state of Missouri. They, they were undergoing a, a, a change in administration and a reorganization. Uh, and the director of purchasing and contracting, his, his name was Herbert Dameron, uh, at the time had been pulled in to reorganize purchasing in the state of Missouri. So that was my, my real introduction to state procurement. I, I, again, like I said, I've been in federal procurement for uh, on a part-time basis for three years. Then uh, I left, uh, that position after three years, Herbert and I reorganized from a patronage to a merit system organization. And we 
we started a bunch of new things that had not been going on. And uh, I, I could speak for hours about the difference between patronage and merit system or organizations. But, but uh, let's come back. I do want to hear. Let's come back to that. Okay, I'll be happy to. Um, and, and hopefully more and more, or most of the state governments now are merit. But the, yeah. but uh, then uh, uh, after some other trials and errors in 1978, I was hired by the state of Iowa to be their chief purchasing officer. And uh, we moved to Des Moines in 78. And I was there for seven years in Des Moines, great place to work, good people. And I had a great staff. And then I took a, I went back to my alma mater as a dean for a while. And then I took a, a little uh, <laughs> sachet in trying to be the William Randolph Hearst of Northwest Missouri. And I, uh, I, I bought a newspaper. And then when my son started college, I realized <clears throat> I needed steady income. <laughs> so we, we just lucked into the position in Alexandria, Virginia. And uh, that's where I finished up my career as director of procurement for the city, the city of Alexandria. When was that? When did you go to Alexandria? Well, let's see. I started in Alexandria in uh, 1994. I retired in, in at the end of 2006. Wow. So quite a career. So you so were... Save, say my span was from 1966 to 2006. But wow. 40 years. I, I had a lot of lot of different things going on. I'm, you one were, people, I'm one of those people who would get bored or something seemingly exciting would come up and I'd take a chance and my, my wife and family put up with me. So you were, to recap it a little bit, you were the procurement, you worked in procurement for the state of Missouri, state of Iowa, higher education, and then the city of Alexandria here in the Washington area. So That's That's four great. different organizations, as well as starting off in federal. So federal, state, local, higher ed, all over 40 years. You 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 sort of saw it all. Well, yeah. Well, I was on the sidelines at least. Yes. So so maybe um, taking a zooming out for a second, 66 to 06, 40 years. What would you say were maybe the two or three biggest changes in the profession over that 40 year span? Well, first of all, <laughs> when, when I started out, it, even in with the federal government, when we had a, a major procurement, we typed it onto a stencil, ran it through a stencil thing, spread the paper out on a table and the whole staff would get around and collate it. And, that, that, and then we we'd mail it out. Uh, all of our uh, orders were placed on multi-part forms. You know, in the early days they had carbons in them, and then we went to carbonless and so forth. Uh, used a, I think, a Olivetti typewriter or whatever. We just started getting into using computers. In '73, with the, with the state of Missouri, but it was only for the uh, accounting. After we placed an order, we'd send it down to accounting, and they would enter it in the computer and the payments. 
in in Iowa, uh, we got a little further along, but still until uh, the latter years when I was in, in Alexandria, uh, we were pretty much paper bound. That was that's one big. Now now you know uh, most of the states have uh, electronic ordering and bidding and so forth. Personnel. Uh, when I started, it was very, very few people with any higher education. A lot of them had, well, actually in the organizations, uh, purchasing in a lot of cases had been a, a part of the accounts payable process rather than looked upon as, as something uh, which would be professional. So uh, people with, with uh, higher education it was it was hard to hire them, and uh, you know it, it, we we've gone a long way in that regard. The third thing I think most important uh, for the profession is certification. The first uh, NASPO meeting that I attended in 1973, the, the fellows who were the my mentors and and the, the real uh, pioneers of the game were talking with NIGP about a certification program. And by the time I was certified myself, they had worked out that it was a joint universal certification process. A lot of people were, were grandfathered in, but as time went on, the requirements required more uh, actual uh, knowledge, uh, which would, could be gotten, and, uh, and it gave a, a plus for a college degree. And so uh, I was, I think I was CPPO number 408, and uh, that, uh, I, I got that in 1984, I finished that. that it was after I finished the PhD, and uh, the people who were uh, what my heroes, uh, Bud Rune from Colorado, uh, Homer Forrester from Texas, John Short from Wisconsin. These guys uh, really pushed certification and, and uh, hiring people uh, with degrees. And, uh, and that created some tension as you had to work with your staffs and encourage people to push themselves into a, into a new area. But so now, you know, I think, uh, you know, we got thousands of people who are CPPBs and CPPOs and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and most people you talk to at the NASPO conference, for instance, have at least a bachelor's degree. So, uh, yeah, the, that, those are, I think, the three big changes. So NASPO, again, celebrating its 75th birthday. Happy birthday to NASPO. Yes. Um, you know, as an association has gone through a lot of changes just in the, you know, 20 years that I've been a part of the organization, maybe bring us back to your first meeting in 1973. What was, what was uh, the meeting like? What was the association like? What did, you know, what was the, what was the purpose of NASPO back then? And do you think that that purpose is still the same today? Wow. Okay. In, in 1973, when I attended the conference at uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania, it was kind of like a family reunion. It was uh, all, all, all but I, I think, 
brought their wives. Some of them had their kids because Hershey, of course, had the you know, playground out there. So it was it was really a kind of a family deal. Most of the well, I think all of the the chief procurement officers in the states at that time looked like I do right now. All old, <laughs> fat. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a white men's organization. By the way, for anyone watching this video at home, I've seen Jack in person. He's very fit and trim. So <laughs> I, will, I will just I will dispute your uh, your other comment, but um, yeah, sorry, keep going. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. It's, it's taken me a while. I lost forty pounds in the last eighteen months. Wow. But uh, okay, so. Then uh, when I got on the board in 1980, it was still pretty much that. Uh, we did have, I think, one woman state chief procurement officer. Uh, there have been a lot of, lot of turmoil. Some of the old hands had, had uh, left and, and gone by the wayside. The NASPO budget, when I was president in 1984, was $25,000 a year. And a lot of that was made up from the registration fees for the conference and also sales of the book. But by, the, by that time, they had uh, published uh, principles and practices of, of, uh, st of state and local government. Uh, John Short from Wisconsin was one of the, the real uh, locomotives pushing that. Um, so we were becoming more of a, of a force. In fact, uh, we were part, of, we were an adjunct to the council of state governments at that time and had been since 1947 when the organization was formed. The council informed us that they were not going to provide us with, with uh, administrative support. We had two half-time people who were employees of the council who spent half of their time working for NASPO and they basically did the administrative paperwork for the organization. Uh, when I was elected president, I had a uh, quick meeting with the council, but Dr. Budroon and I flew to Lexington and uh, the executive director of the council told us flat out, the elected officials are, are upset with you people because you're you're passing these resolutions that are policy resolutions and shouldn't be what you're doing. And we're just not going to continue to provide you the support. You better do something about it. So I formed a committee called the Ad Hoc Committee on the Future of NASPO, which was in effect, I think, until the mid 90s. Uh, and after I had gotten out of state procurement for a while. And, and so then uh, when they finally broke the cord from the council, an organization called AMR, which was made up of a group of former council employees, uh, became an association management uh, organization in Lexington. And they picked up the, the reins for NASPO. And they kept that going until, uh, yeah, they, it's in the 2000s, NASPO finally uh, built its own staff and had, had enough money uh, through the uh, 
value point. And by the way, I should have mentioned uh, competitive uh, cooperative procurement and and the use of uh, it's the monetizing of of the procurement function in order to support uh, the educational and uh, outreach programs that the, the NASCOM is doing now, which are phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, so let's, yeah, so let's go to, uh, again, you, because you've had such an incredible ringside seat as an attendee, looking up to your heroes, and then being the president and probably being a hero to some of the younger people who were joined. And then, you know, you, you went into local government procurement, and now you've been uh, a very active life member of NASPO. Uh, I'm really fortunate to be one myself. You've seen a lot of change. Tell me now, having been at the last conference in, in San Diego, could you ever have dreamed back in 1973 that NASPA would become the organization it is today? Uh, no, not at all. It was, it was beyond my imagination. I mean, you sit through some of those uh, sessions two weeks ago in, in San Diego, the audio visuals and the staff support and uh, the professionalism, uh, the, the attendees. I mean, it, when I started, and, and even when, when I was host chair in, in 82, uh, there, were, there were probably 30 uh, states represented. In fact, uh, in 82, Guam came for the first time and had a, had a representative, but uh, most of the states really didn't participate for a good number of them. So now, I mean, I think every state participates. They, have, they bring staff members so they can uh, get the advantage of the, the education and the, the programs that they have, uh, the board. And, and of course, as I said, ValuePoint has, uh, has created so many opportunities for uh, partnerships with higher education. That's, uh, as you can imagine, education has always been one of my mantras, you know, feel like uh, we're better when we can uh, have have people who have, have a, a wider grasp of politics and, and uh, economy and, and so forth than just being paper pushers. And that's, that's what we were considered to be back in, in the 70s and 80s yeah. initially. I mean, we were just process paper. In fact, you were graded on how many purchase orders you processed. I mean, that's that's not what purchasing is should be doing is being graded on processed paper. It's it's how much money can you save or how many uh, competitors can you get bring to the table, that kind of stuff. And, and uh, in the early days, yeah, it was how many how many purchase orders did you process? Staff was staff was built on, yeah. You need you need people to process paper. You've seen the profession become viewed as much more strategic. It sounds like. I hope so. Yes. So if you if you think about where the profession is today, again, few people in the world have seen its progression like you have. If you were you had a crystal ball and you had to look at to twenty thirty two ten years from now. What do you think the future looks like for, for public procurement? Well, I'm, I'm hoping that the chief procurement officer is sitting at the table with the chief financial officer and the chief information officer. 
and, and not looked upon as, as an adjunct to finance, for instance, uh, which all my career, unfortunately, we have been. That's another story. Uh, and, and as I said, you know, certification, uh, all, all the finance directors I worked for were CPAs. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, lawyers were all ours. Uh, you know, so with some clout now, with an understanding that our people have been educated and they have a body of knowledge that they, they're capable of putting into practice. I think we're, we're years ahead. Where will we be 20 years from now? Uh, I expect, you know, the central offices might be distributed out, say in the state, you might have, have uh, staff in, well, in, in my case, like in, in Missouri, we'd have staff in, in Kansas City, St. Louis, uh, Columbia, Springfield, Kirksville, all over the state. Or in Iowa, it'd be Des Moines, uh, you know, Council Bluffs, uh, Davenport. And you'd have people there connected like we are, probably talking to each other on, on Zoom or its uh, successor, uh, using uh, the benefits of, uh, of the information revolution. Uh, I just sat through that uh, AI session at, at uh, NASPO. It blew my mind, the kind of things this fellow was talking about. But I can see if a man can imagine it, it can work if you put your mind to it and money in, and enough money. It can, it can happen. Well, I'm interested in this idea. Maybe this is a good place for us to, to wrap up. But so you look 10 years in the future, rather than having everyone in Jefferson City, you know, in the central office, because of things like Zoom and other tools, they are, let's say they are spread out across the, the state. What would that mean to state government? What would it mean to state procurement if people were really sort of located throughout the state, not just all in the capital. Well, so my concept of that is, you know, it's always been a, an issue with, with staffs that I worked with of your relationships with the people that you serve, because after all, procurement is a service organization for the government it works with. So our job is to get in the same wavelength with the people that we're, we're acquiring things for. So if, if we were distributed out, uh, I think back in the day, General Motors said, you know, uh, decentralized operation, centralized control of decentralized operation. And I can see that uh, being a model for the future. Uh, so you have a small central staff to tie all things together. And of course, where your central policy makers are, but uh, your service points, are out in the field, just, just like uh, you know, uh, an automobile supplier. He has service points all over the state, uh, so each one of those would be almost self-sufficient and working directly with the uh, departments and agencies. That it, so it would cut down a lot of miscommunications, I would hope, and put people back, you know, onto a. Well, you know, relationships are so important in business. Interesting. I mean, and maybe this is a, a just an interesting way to sort of tie things out on our conversation. But, you know, I think the idea of 
relationships and one-on-one -on -one relationships and, and knowing someone personally and their families, having their kids go to Little League together and going to a temple or a church together is an old-fashioned idea, but one that I think still has, has some resonance. And so it's interesting to think about the future as a way to sort of go back to an era where relationships did matter uh, and there was better communication and better trust and it's enabled by modern technology there is a really interesting way to sort of to put ourselves in a time capsule and and fast forward a few years really uh, it's brilliant you know you know it was down you know, who's in control and if that is that control going to be you know tightly controlled or is it going to be shared and and uh, in a, in a cooperative relationship. If we can get to that, uh, a lot of the problems that the procurement faced over the years of you know, people not wanting to do it. <laughs> when I came to Alexandria, the mantra of uh, the department heads was purchasing is somewhere we send things to disappear. And uh, I, I believe sincerely that in my tenure there, we, we changed that outlook. I hope it's still there. Yeah, and it's a lot. E it's a lot harder to cast that kind of dispersion on procurement if they're sitting half a mile away from you, wherever you are, and your and your lives are intertwined during the workday, after the workday. It's really great. interesting. Yeah. Well, I think it's a really interesting model, and we'll we'll I'll check back in with you, Jack, in ten years, and we'll see if the you know, <laughs> You, your words to God's ears. I don't know whether I'll be around another ten years. Uh, I have uh, no. I was six I, years. I was six years old when NASPO was formed. So you can do your math. See where I am now. Yeah. Well, I I have no doubt, and uh, I know all of us in the procurement community who really do look up to you as one of our heroes have no doubt either that ten years from now you'll be projecting about the next ten years. So. <laughs> Um, anyway, thank you so much for, for being with us today. And, and even more, thank you for the incredible contributions you've made to our profession over the last, you know, 40 or 50 years. It's a, it's a, it's a debt that I don't know everyone understands that we need to repay, but we do need to repay it and, and really to honor your, your incredible work. So thank you so much for taking the time today. And uh, I can't wait to see you at our next uh, NASCO annual meeting. We'll see about that. But thank you, David, for giving me the opportunity. And one thing I can do in these days is look back and talk about it. Thanks for listening to Decisions That Matter. This podcast is brought to you by Procurated, the leading supplier evaluation tool for procurement professionals across the U.S. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. See you again next time.